Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Let's turn in the word to First Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to look at one verse today. It's verse 14. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. So we have a series of short commands here given to church members, and really the rest of, of the book is going to continue with these short kind of staccato commands given to us. Um, we'll see three categories of people today that the entire church is commanded to minister to. Are you a part of the church? Okay, then this is for you. First, let's look at admonish the idol. Now, I want you to notice something. Paul, earlier, just a couple verses, talks about, in verse 12, he says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. So he talks about the leaders and the pastors doing admonishing, and now he's saying, just like we have admonished you, now we want you to admonish others. So you're following their example. Now, what does admonishment involve? I know we looked at this a few weeks ago, but there's a number of different aspects when we talk about admonishing one another that's involved. Kind of more on the positive side, you'd have instruction, you'd have giving of counsel, you'd have teaching, even giving advice. Those are all pretty, you know, positive things. More on the negative side, you'd have correction, warning, and even rebuke. In fact, to get a kind of fuller picture of this, let's look at just a few passages uh, so we get the idea of what exactly we're being commanded to do. Look at Romans chapter 15. Verse 14, he says, I myself am, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. And that word instruct is the word that's being used as, and your versions might even say that, as admonish. So admonish one another. Again, he's saying that this is what they are doing, just like Paul's saying in Thessalonians here in Romans, he's telling them to do the very same thing. Admonish one another. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Again, all versions say here, teaching and admonishing. That's that same word. We're admonishing. So it's, in some aspects, distinct from teaching. What's the key? As we're going to see later in Thessalonians and also here in Colossians for our instruction, for our teaching, for our admonishing, the word of Christ dwelling in us richly. If we start to try to speak in our own power or strength, we start to try to give people counsel, a lot of, of man's wisdom, it, it's not going to go well at all. So we speak once the word of Christ has dwelt in us richly. What does that mean? We've got to make sure that the word of Christ is dwelling in us first, right? And it's from that that then we speak to others. One more passage, it's in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Right towards the end, 
in verse 14 of chapter 3, Paul says, If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. Now, some versions will also use the word admonish there, which is fine. But again, it has more the idea of giving a correction or even a rebuke. You're warning them that they are in danger, in this case, of not following the instructions that the Apostle Paul has laid out. This word in the Greek is, is a word that's pronounced netheo. And um, there's all sorts of different types of, of counseling, even with biblical counseling. But one of the forms is actually called nethetic counseling. And the idea is that you are letting the word and you're using the word and the commands of scriptures and the imperatives that we're given and even the indicatives and who we are in Christ and you're taking that information and then you're applying it to different situations that different people are dealing with. You're admonishing them. And that might look different in each scenario that you come across. It might look like instruction. It might look like teaching. It might look like counsel. It might look like giving advice. But it also might look like correction and warning and rebuke. But notice who he tells us to admonish in this case. The idol. Now, out of all the commands that we read just in this short little verse, this one probably comes across as being blunt. Admonish the idol. So it's not like, oh, we don't get this you know, warm, fuzzy feeling about ourselves. Uh, in fact, some versions actually use the word warn here. Um, listen, believers walking in sin need strong words to jar them to awaken them. They need strong and blunt words for the message to be heard. They need a warning or an admonishment. Now, a lot of times this word occurs uh, rather frequently when they're talking about military tactics and military maneuvers uh, in regards to insubordinate soldiers, in regards to negligent officers, or even an army in disarray. It's idle. It's also used when it talks about people disobeying rules of conduct in a local uh, gymnasium. It talks about it when, it when it mentions sons who fail to meet the financial needs of their parents. It even talks about it and uses the word when we hear about apprentices who miss their work or fail to live up to the requirements of their contract, and even those who d decide not to observe the common law of the Romans at the time. They are idle. They're just doing their own thing. They might be busy about things, but they are not busy about the Lord's work. Well, what happens when you're idle? Well, if you're still in 2 Thessalonians, a couple verses earlier, he addresses it in a similar, in a similar manner. Verse 11, 2 Thessalonians 3. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. Now, we'll get to 2 Thessalonians 3 uh, later this year as we're working through 2 Thessalonians. But we can see here that whatever he said in 1 Thessalonians apparently did not sink through all the way to the people that were idle because they're still idle here and he has to address them again. Make sense? Of course, none of us are like that, right? We, we hear the word and we respond the first time. Right? Of course. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness not busy at work, but busy 
busybodies. So look, look what you become when you're idle. A busybody. And you're busy doing everything while at the same time doing nothing. Busy doing your own thing. Busy building your own kingdom. Busy with all the things that you want to pursue, but you're not busy about what really matters. And that's the work of the Lord. So if you're idle, if you're not doing the work of the Lord, but doing your own work, friends, I mean, you're wasting time. That's what the scriptures describe you as. You can be as busy, as busy, as busy. But if you're not doing the work of the Lord, then, then you're a busy body. You're idle in a biblical sense. Here's the thing when we talk about admonishing. When we admonish people, we can use hard words or we can use soft words. But we have to know when to use which type. And we have to be willing to use each type. Some people only give hard words. They think it's their spiritual gift. They only give hard words. That's not good. And some actually only give soft words. And that's not good. Here, Paul kind of lays it out, the, the different categories of people and the different words that they need. In this case, the idol, they need the admonition. And it probably leans more towards the correct, the warn, the rebuke. That's what they need, the idol. What do the weak need? Well, they're gonna, they need some help. What do the faint-hearted need? They need encouragement. So the, some of them need some soft words. The idol, they need some hard words. But sometimes, let's just admit, we want to use soft words when we're talking to people about their sin, and that's not appropriate. Jesus was very blunt when he talked about people's sins, especially the hard, more hard-hearted that they were. For the Pharisees, blunt and direct. Why? He was trying to jar them. They thought they had it all figured out, and he's trying to awaken them to their slumberness. And then we want to give harsh words for, for smaller struggles that people have. We get it backwards. So those of us that, that give soft words, are, are we willing to give tough words to people? Because we need to be. And those of us that are always giving tough words, are, are we willing to give soft words to people? Because we need to be. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, like it's not my job to give the tough word all the time. Okay? It's not my job all the time. This verse, who's it addressed to? All believers. If you're a believer, it's addressed to you. So, at times, it is your job to give the tough word. I remember years ago, uh, meeting with Pastor Vaughn. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't on staff or anything. It was, it was a long time ago. And I remember <clears throat> telling him about a particular situation and about a particular person. And I was basically like, hey, you need to deal with this. <laughs> and he, he, he was like, no, you need to deal with it. Right? I was trying to, trying to pawn it off on the pastor. I didn't want to deal with that tough situation. But, but he had it right. I had it wrong. It's not always the pastor's job to take care of every situation. That's why Paul is addressing us here as the believers to minister to one another. One of the ways we minister is through tough words. Some of you have a personality that makes you never want to give a tough word. Too bad. 
I mean, you can't use your personality as an excuse. All right? I mean, God's given you a personality, but that personality is not the final authority in how you get to act towards other people. It really isn't. The other side is true. Some of you have a personality. You know who you are that makes you always want to give a tough word. And, and too bad for you as well. Okay? You can't use your personality as an excuse. You need to walk in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit sometimes means you're gracious and kind. Walking in the Spirit sometimes means you're rather straightforward and blunt. Walking in wisdom knows, means you know the difference and when to use each one. Do our words matter? Big time. I was reading an article yesterday about fatherhood. This is uh, uh, a son who has his own children now, but this is what he was writing about his own dad. He said this, He never had much, he's talking about his dad, he never had much to say to me, especially, except for his lifelong jest in passing when he would look me in the eye, shake his head, and say with a half smile, Son, you'll never make it. He didn't say it in a malicious way. It was a joke to him. I knew deep down that he didn't mean it. At least, I thought I knew. That's the problem with the Father's words. They sink so deep into your soul. Sometimes they dig like a shovel in the dirt. Other times they cut like a knife into the flesh but they always go into the heart like a mysterious seed deeply planted. And you never know what will grow there until years later. <clears throat> it was a joke to him, but it was life-altering to me. I spent my childhood and most of my adult life trying to outrun those words and prove them wrong. I also spent a good portion of my life not knowing or understanding how to love or be loved. Just those, what is it, one, two, three, four, five words. That, that was the message that his dad gave him over and over through the years. And it ended up for a season, he would later explain, defining him. Just those, those few words defined him as a man. So our, our words matter big time. And how we use them and the situations we use them and who we use them towards have a huge impact. So without directly saying it, Paul is telling us to follow his example. Just like he admonished, he wants us to admonish. But we also see this when it comes to encourage the faint-hearted, which is the next part of the verse in 1 Thessalonians 5. Admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted. Earlier in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 2, he says this in verse 12. We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Okay, so that, that encouragement, so he encouraged them, and now he's commanding us to encourage others. And notice how he did, back up one verse, verse 11 of chapter 2, notice how he does it. For you know how like a father with his children. Okay, so you, when you're dealing with the encouragement, I mean, that's how you're interacting with other people, whether it's brother to brother or more like a father to son if you're an older believer, but it's, <clears throat> it's familial, it's gracious, it's kind, it's loving. 
So Paul sets the example here as well. He, he's been an encouragement and encouraging them in various areas. Now he wants us to continue walking in that same pattern. But specifically here he says, encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? It literally means the small soul or the little soul. Everything they've gone through has shrunk them down. They're worn down. They're torn down. They're the discouraged. And they're discouraged and they're ready to give up. They're ready to throw their hands in the air and they're ready to walk away. They're faint-hearted. They just want to go sit on a couch and avoid life, lie in bed, and never get out of it again. If we're honest, most of us have been there at some point. And if we're honest, there are people here right now just like that. Those people, they need encouragement. They don't need admonishment. They don't need to be told, snap out of it. They don't need to be rebuked. They need to be encouraged. They're faint-hearted. Okay? One little word can destroy them. So we want to make sure whatever word we use is carefully chosen, is graciously chosen, and is caringly chosen. We want to be careful with the faint-hearted. We want to come alongside them, and we want to give them encouragement. We want to encourage them if they're struggling. We want to encourage them in their weaknesses. We want to encourage them that they can make the walk, that they can walk with the Lord, that we will be there to walk with them, that we will be there to pick them up when they fall. Guess what? One day we'll be in that same position and we'll need them to do likewise. So we encourage the faint-hearted. Paul likely has in mind some of those that potentially lost a loved one. He references that in 1 Thessalonians 4 earlier. Do not grieve of those who have no hope. That's when he talks about the end times and Christ coming back. But it seems like people were grieving. What about admonish or encourage? How do I know when to do each one? Well, wisdom. And, and some of that wisdom comes through knowing that, that the better you know someone, the more involved you are in someone's life, the more you've walked with them and done life, the better position you are to know where they're at and what type of word they need to hear. And a lot of times, as you're involved in someone's life, those words can be more impactful because they've taken the time to do life with you. And you know that they love you. You know that they care about you. Third, we're supposed to help the weak. Who are the weak? Is it weak in faith? In, in this passage, probably not. That would be more like the faint-hearted. They're struggling. This probably refers to just weak in stature, what we might normally think. People that physically can't do certain things. We could think of elderly people. How do you treat the weak? Well, you don't treat them like they're strong. But you don't make them feel weak. And you don't point out their weakness. You don't expose it. But, but we as a church, and we as believers, we need to help the weak. And if you're like, well, I don't know who's weak in the church. Well, I mean, have you asked? Have you looked around? They are here and they need assistance. Physical assistance. And finally, he tells us to be patient 
Be patient with them all. You know, it's interesting. Patience is an important virtue for the Christian, according to Paul. Look at Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The fruit of the Spirit, right here. That's an important virtue for walking with the Lord. You want, to, you want to walk with the Lord? You need to walk in the Spirit. You want to walk in the Spirit? You're going to have this fruit displayed in your life, including patience. In fact, Paul tells us in Corinthians that it's a manifestation of love. What does he say? Love is patient, right? It's a manifestation of love. So you want to love your brother? You want to love your sister? You want to love your spouse? You want to love your children? One of the ways you love them is through patience. You're walking in patience towards them. Listen, the group, some of these groups mentioned, the faint-hearted, the weak, the idle, if you're ministering to people, if you're really ministering to people, ministry's tough. And you're going to deal with hurting people. And guess what hurting people do? They hurt you. All right? So if you're going to really get into the trenches of ministry with other people, you inevitably will face many challenges. And those people to you, the weak, the faint-hearted, the idle, to you they're going to become irritating and burdensome. It doesn't mean that they are, but that's how you're going to feel. It's not a reflection on those receiving the care, it's a reflection on the caregiver. So we, we need the patience. That's why we're being commanded to be patient towards all. All all who? The ones just mentioned. And, and it's interesting. That, you know, it, it's not talked about a lot always, but this is a key attribute of God in the Old Testament. Look at Exodus 34. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there, talking about Moses, and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is like a theological statement that like, is like a banner over the Old Testament in regards to who God is. And you'll see this, if you read your Old Testament, you will see that phrase in the prophets, in the law, in the Proverbs, in the Psalm. I mean, you'll see it numerous times. This same thing. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Those things put together. Mercy, grace, grace, uh, patience, and the steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are the attributes that are constantly repeated in the New Testament to describe God. So this slow to anger, it's the Hebrew word, Eric. Uh, sometimes some versions translate it long-suffering. Um, a lot of versions just always put, it literally means like slow to anger. Well, how, well, if you're slow to anger, what does that mean? It means you're patient, right? Because what are you usually the quickest to? Anger, Right? I mean, if you really are exercising self-control and you're really patient, I mean, when we're talking about patience, 
Granted, maybe one application is like when you're in, in, in the drive-thru at the fast food place and it's a real long line and they're going slow, okay? But really, it's, it's about towards other people. Toward, you know, being, being patient with them. And, and literally, the word is, is slow to anger. So you're getting frustrated. You're like, ah, ah, ah. No, slow to anger. You're not going to go there. So you're walking in patience. It's, it's how God wants to reveal himself and has revealed himself to us. That's how he showed himself to the Israelites. That's how he showed himself to the prophets. One of the key attributes was this patience. You want to be like God? Get some patience and walk in that. Here's what one theologian said. As we seek to minister to different types of Christians, those disobedient, those struggling spiritually, those struggling physically, we need to be patient and minister to them in their own situations. We should not minister to them in the way we would want someone to minister to us. Instead, we must consider each individual person in his or her struggles. Do you know what this really is? It is loving your neighbor. This is what loving your neighbor looks like. Ministering to brothers or sisters where they are in their circumstances. And that requires patience. You know, every church has these type of people that we've been talking about. And if we're honest, we might even fall into one of those categories. The faint-hearted, the weak, the idle. I mean, to the idle, I'd say get to work. Enough idle play. I mean, you have a task at hand. The kingdom of God has work that needs to be done. So whatever little side hobby you got going on that takes up a lot of time, <clears throat> it's time for that hobby to go. The kingdom, the kingdom of God is at hand. And we have work to do. I think it was George Whitfield who said, you know, he's like, oh, you're going too hard, George, you're going too hard. This this great evangelist, this great preacher, you're you're going too hard. And he said, I'd rather burn out than rust out. That's that's pretty good. I'd rather burn out than rust out. Okay, y'all want to rest? Well, the Lord gives you one day each week. Go ahead and take it. But you can rest all you want in heaven. All right? I mean, that's what Hebrews says, right? That's the eternal rest. I'm just saying what, what Hebrews says. But listen, we can be busy and still be idle. We can be busy on Facebook. We can be busy on Netflix. We can be busy watching TV, busy watching movies, busy with our hobby. But in the eyes of the Lord, we're idle. To the faint-hearted, I'd say, let others walk with you. Let others surround you and encourage you. You are not alone. And there is a way forward with the Lord. And to the weak, I'd say, you're going to have to humble yourself and ask for help. Because I believe many people in this church are willing to help the weak. We have to know what those needs are in order to help. Let others help. Let me say uh, a few important points regarding ministering to people. We minister according to the needs of the person. Okay, not according to our needs. 
I mean, that, that's actually a danger with, with some people because they're, they're counseling people. It's like they get more fulfilled from the counseling than what they're giving out to people. Okay? That's great if you're getting fulfilled from helping and counseling people. You probably should. Um, but the focus isn't you. That's why you're ministering to people. So it's not according to your needs, not according to your personality, not according to your agenda. If you want to be used by the Holy Spirit, then you need to be a willing vessel to administer his truth in whatever way he wants it administered. In some ways, it's going to look in ways maybe you don't want to do it. But it's not about you. It's about him. So it's according to the needs of the person you are ministering to. What do they need? Not what do I want to give them. Here's what another theologian said. Paul's words in this section show that he is a pastor of sensitivity. Pastors should know who is discouraged, who is disorderly, who is weak then they should attend to people according to their various needs. Now, I'd actually change this quote a little bit because he's actually talking to believers, right? It's very true of pastors, but I think even more appropriately, believers should know who is discouraged, who is disorderly, who is weak. Why? Because we're doing life together. We should be. We're walking together. We're praying for one another. We're loving one another. Then they should attend to people according to their various needs. For some, this runs counter to... to, to intuition, since pastors often play to their personal strength, no matter the situation. One pastor, I think again, you can put believer here. One believer is by nature encouraging and ends up encouraging the disruptive when what they really need is a reprimand. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. People that need a really sharp word, they're, they're walking in sin, and someone just, oh, it's okay. It's, they just pat them, it's all right. That's not what they need. But that person, all they are doing, they're just, they're just, you know, patting backs. They're a back patter. And sometimes we need that, but sometimes we don't. So one pastor is by nature encouraging and ends up encouraging the disruptive when what they really need is a reprimand. Another rebukes easily and so tells the weak and discouraged to snap out of it. Paul is a superb model for pastors since in his letter he runs the gamut from gentle encouragement to firm rebuke, depending on his audience. Okay, And notice these categories that we have with admonishing the idol. Those are, those are people that aren't living the way they should as Christians. That's the first category. The second is the faint-hearted. They're struggling spiritually with discouragement. And then helping the weak is a category of Christians who have physical needs. Well, each of those categories needs ministering differently. I mean, the weak physically can be doing great spiritually. They just can't do literally certain things, and they need some help. And you can be the strongest person in the world, but doing horribly spiritually. You know what's interesting is that if we're walking with the Lord, then, then you're going to see the more spiritually mature who, who have that strength, knowing that they need to help the physically weak. And maybe those people that are physically weak, that are strong in the faith, are helping those that have the physical strength but they don't have the spiritual strength. You're, administ- you're ministering to one another. So even these groups, whatever group you might potentially fall into, you can still do ministry and you're helping others out. Think about key elements of pastoral care. Like in other words, what do church members need? Well, well we get a list right here. So you hear that term sometimes, you know, pastoral care. Which, I mean, pastors care, they should care, they, they do care, and they give care. But pastors should not be the only ones to care. 
So I, I'm not always pleased with that term, pastoral care, because if we're not careful, it can give the idea that, okay, the pastors are the ones that do these things. That's not true. Again, verses like this demolish that idea. So pastors should not be the only ones to care, and they should not be the only ones to give care. You know, calling it pastoral care, it's just, it can be a misnomer. We are all called to administer care. We are all called to minister to one another. It will look different for different people. But let's adjust our ministering to the specific needs at hand. If, if the last time I checked, if the Holy Spirit's living in you, I mean, he affects all of you from top to bottom. That means he affects your personality. And I've heard, and it, it, it's not right when people are like, well, that's just my personality. I mean, you might as well just say, well, that, that's just how I sin. Like, your personality needs to be transformed by the Holy Spirit then, if that's just how you are, okay? Because I know how I am, and it ain't so pretty at times, but I don't use that as an excuse to do whatever I want. At least I shouldn't. So let's not do that. We're called to minister care, all of us. It's like we're all little shepherds, so to speak, all right? And we all are sheep, okay? But it looks different for different people. But let's adjust our ministering to those specific needs at hand. And to those specific people the Lord puts in our midst. If you're in, in this church, then the Lord's put you here to minister to the needs of the other people here. Now, you might have other brothers and sisters out, outside this church. That's great, too. But if you're doing life together in a church, then we want to minister together in a church. So, you know what? If, if this church right here did these three things and then did the fourth with patience, it'd be pretty powerful. It, it kind of goes back to the book we finished in our life groups about when there's that, that true community of people from different age ranges, people from different backgrounds, people from different ethnicities, and they're doing life together. That speaks powerful to a dying world. And this is one of the ways that we can continue to walk in that unity. This is one of the ways that we can walk with that unity and community. So let's continue to do so. Let's continue to do it well. We can't do this on our own. We do need the Spirit filling us completely. Lord, help us. Let's pray. Father, give us your Spirit to accomplish these commands. We can walk in truth first because you are the truth second you've given us the truth and third we have the spirit of truth in us so may we do so accordingly do it for your glory lord we ask in jesus name i'm going to have the worship team come on up i'm also going to have uh the fathers this is father's day i'm gonna have the fathers come forward right here all the fathers Young and old. All right, come on up, come on up.
Fathers, we have, I would say, an impossible task to be the heads of our home in our own strength. And we need Jesus walking with us daily uh, to be able to be the heads of our home, to administer truth to our families in righteousness. And one, I want to I kind of give you a charge that when we have these four characteristics here of admonishing, helping, um, being patient, and what's the fourth one? I just gave this great sermon. What's that? Help the weak, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, be patient with all. Um, I want to I give you a charge to make sure that is present in your home. And it starts, it starts with you all. It starts with, I'm speaking to myself as well. It starts with all of us. So I charge you to do that, to admonish in your homes as needed, to encourage as needed, to help as needed, and to do all of those things with patience. Will you, will you bef- with the Lord's help, um, endeavor to do that? Yes. All right, I want to pray for you all. Father, we thank you um, that you are by far the best father of all. And God, we admit, all of us here as fathers, that uh, we pale in comparison as fathers compared to you. Um, we fall way short in many areas. So first, forgive us. Forgive us at times for, for not helping. Forgive us for times for not encouraging. Forgive us for times at, for not admonishing. Forgive us for times at not being patient. Lord, forgive us. We thank you that you do forgive us, that we have true forgiveness through your son Jesus. And Lord, I pray for each man here. I pray for the families they represent, that there would be uh, truth and righteousness in each of their homes, that you would give them wisdom beyond their years to walk rightly before you and to minister your word to their spouse, and to their children. Uh, humble them, God. Humble us. We, we acknowledge we need you to do this. Let us walk in humility before you, the greatest of the greatest of men on this earth still lacks wisdom without you. So give us the wisdom to do that. God, pray a blessing on each of these men that they would be faithful to you. Uh, They'd put their hand to the plow and not look back. They would put your kingdom first. Whatever areas, Lord, they need to get right, they would before you. And they would walk in wholeness and truth for your glory. God, do this for your namesake, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.